Nick Simbrato, Brian French, and the greatest struggles that you should face. Welcome to episode 20 of Local Masters. Each episode of Local Masters, we take a look at what's next in business, culture, and creativity with a thought leader in their field. Real Thread does this because we believe it can help you be a master wherever you are. Nick Simbrato and Brian French are a rare coupling. They're the type of people that are so drastically different that they're a perfect match together. Nick Simbrato is the founder and head honcho of Mama Sauce, one of the best letterpress and print shops in the world. He's a natural visionary with a hustler's bend, and from Mama Sauce, his team has helped herald the return of fine printed goods. Brian French is a sixth-generation paper man. His family's paper business, French Paper Company, has transitioned from supplying paper to standard offices to becoming one of the top providers of fine paper to the creative class. Brian's calm reserve does a fine job of hiding his enormous knowledge on creative processes and his insight into what's coming next in the design field. Together, these two have birthed Print Matters, an interactive tour that covers screen printing, letterpress, and all things paper-related. It's been a hit all across the country and is currently ramping up for its next tour. This episode, these two talk business. They discuss what it's like running a business meant for creatives. They talk about why they put designers in the front seat, and they also share the greatest struggle that you can face as a business owner. Nick starts by sharing the beginnings of Mama Sauce. Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, I found myself in Winter Park in Orlando because I came here to go to graduate school at Rollins College. Um, I met a buddy named David McKenna who had this band. He wanted to build a record label around. I was like, well, shoot, I'll, um, I'd love to help you do that. In the course of the, the record label time, I had bought a digital print shop to service the bands that were working on us. You know, because the labels didn't, they didn't make money and I didn't necessarily make a ton of money when we sold it, but, um, you know, I made something. But in the meantime, I, you know, I was still looking for operating capital. So I bought this small digital print shop that was online, serviced the bands. And um, when we sold the record label, I still had that print shop. Hmm. And um, just in the effort to expand that, uh, a friend of mine, Austin Petito, um, who uh, we brought on on board and, and, and to manage our brand. He he was a, a, a garage printer and he did spot color, um, you know, posters, gig posters, and, and, and t-shirts in his garage. And he was also an amazing designer and illustrator. And uh, he was an acquaintance at the time. Someone told me he was getting rid of his, rid of his equipment. I had sold my record label. I was starting to take an interest in this digital print shop that we had online. And um, so I gave Austin a call. I said, "Man, I would love to uh, I would love to talk to you about picking up your equipment and your client base. Let's let's you know." Let's figure this out. And he's like, well, I'm moving in two weeks. And if you want to do this, here's what I think it would look like. And I'll give you two weeks to, um, you know, really be as immersive as you want to learn how to do um, screen printing. And I said, I'll take it, you know. Wow. And um, yeah, so, you know, at the time, me and uh, one of the lead singers in um, one of the bands, he was running the digital print shop. We were in a small office. And in that office, um, uh, we were in a copy room of, uh, an office which was actually a casting studio so we needed room for um we needed room for uh the screen printing equipment because at the time we were this digital print shop and, I, and barely even that we were a copy machine basically doing get you know doing mm. promotional posters and flyers and 
So we, we ended up moving to the house next door to mine to accommodate the screen printing equipment. And we, um, we printed uh, in the living room. We mixed kitchen, you know, mixed inks in the kitchen. Uh, we did shipping out of the back bedroom, and there was an office with a bunk bed for Austin uh, in the front bedroom. And had a little break room on the back patio. And then the dark room was in the garage, and we spent two weeks, Joey Bordenga, uh, Austin Petito, and Nick Sambrato, three Italian guys, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, learning to print. And um, it was just an awesome, you know, Paisano kind of Italian-y, great getting to know each other over working with our hands uh, experience. And uh, top that all off, we were literally eating uh, the frozen Italian meals my mom had cooked and put in the freezer. Um, mixing inks in the kitchen. So, you know, you can imagine it got quite, um, you know, uh, just involved and, uh, and, and it was just full on. And, and the night before Austin left, I was a little bit whimsical and it was a whimsical night. How about that? I was, oh, the night Austin left, it was a little emotional, you know, okay. we were on the back patio smoking cigars and, and, um, and I said, Austin, man, if you ever come back, we, we should, we should really go in this direction, you know, and, mm. and I, I want to do spot color. I want to do um, handmade. I want to do this thing called letterpress that you're describing to me that, that is this beautiful, crazy machine, you know, and, and Joey's fully on board too, the other guy. And, and then, you know, and I was like, man, if you come back, we'll do this and uh, we'll figure this whole thing out and we'll call it, you know, and I looked over his shoulder and, and through the, the, the kitchen window with like a sill where you put a pie, there's actually a cobalt blue bowl with red ink from an ink mixing mistake I had made um, that sat there looming and, and it just looks like this beautiful bowl of sauce. And I said, man, we'll call it mama sauce. <laughs> and, and, and that's really kind of how it was all birthed, man. Uh, that's about as short and quick as I could tell it. Um, and you know, and, and Austin came back a couple, a couple months later, he called and said, you still want to do this? And, and we were like, yeah, we do. And, you know, move on. And, and, and we grew from there. We, we, we moved out of that house into a, um, a small retail space on a main road. We, we put meat in the window and it bought a deli case <laughs> and painted it and called it mama sauce. And people started showing up wanting things that we didn't sell like sausages. <laughs> Oh man, that's an incredible story. And it's so funny, you know, you guys being such an institution here to understand that, you know, it just started somewhere, you know, that had a beginning. I'm, I'm really interested on, on your side, Brian, it, your story seems so much more different with it coming from kind of a family background, family ownership. I would love to hear what that path looked like for you. How did, how did you come to lead the company? How did it start? Things of that nature. Uh, I mean, uh, you're totally right. Our story is way different from Nick's. I mean, uh, we're actually in our 144th year of business right wow. now. And uh, there are five generations of French prior to me involved. So I'm number six. It's pretty wild to even think of. Um, uh, our story kind of started, uh, uh, there was a paper mill here where French paper is. It was actually called uh, Michigan Wood Pulp Company. Um, and there were two mills across the river from us. This is a huge paper area uh, in Michigan. And uh, what happened was they actually hired my great, great, great grandfather to come in and run the mill. Wow. He owned a couple small companies in the area, uh, some really random stuff, uh, hearses and wagon wheels and things <laughs> like that. And uh, they, they brought him in to try to uh, turn this company around. It wasn't really successful. And uh, the owner had run up quite a bit of debt, actually. Wow. Uh, the, the story, as I'm always told, is that uh, most of the debt was with the local hardware company uh, from maintenance and things like that. They just had, <laughs> had all this debt with this hardware company. 
And eventually this uh, owner just got really frustrated with it and said, hey, if you can pay off all this debt we have, you can have this stupid paper mill. <laughs> uh, so Colonel JW went out and he uh, he sold all his other companies to raise money and he paid off this debt and took over our little paper mill here. Um, obviously 144 years later, we're still going, but, yeah. uh, you know, the product type was totally different. It was, you know, it was 1871 when he purchased it. So things have changed quite a bit, but, uh, we're still here doing stuff. So, oh man, that's fantastic. Well, I'm interested when you were growing up, did you ever rage against the idea of coming to work for your family or did you always know that that was something that you wanted to do? Uh, you know, I, I grew up. A block away I was always here I always kind of knew what was going on down here but I uh, uh, I give my parents a lot of credit there was no pressure whatsoever uh, I, I'm the only male left so it was kind of uh, me or nobody but uh, yeah I mean my, my parents never pushed me uh, believe it or not I graduated college with a pre-law degree oh that's great um, I've, uh, I've always had this huge interest in business law, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, it was over Christmas break, my junior year of college. Um, I asked my dad, you know, I said, hey, is this something you have interest in me coming back and doing? Do you, do you want me there? What's the story? And he said, hey, you know, if, if you're willing to give it a shot, uh, uh, come back. We'll make a position for you. Uh, and if we'll give it a, a shot for a year. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you can go back to college. Uh, and do the law school thing. So uh, that was seven and a half years ago, and I'm still going. I haven't looked back, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh. Well, one thing I love about both of your companies um, individually is you guys have taken uh, processes and services that I, I don't think are generally looked at as, like, cool or, you know, like, in, in the in that field. And you guys have really kind of become rock stars of the design community and the creative community. I'd love to hear from both of you, what was the creative process like? Um, why did you guys choose to brand you, yourself the way you did? How did you reimagine your service and your company for the digital and creative age? Well, I, you know, I think the commonality between our story is that we both let driver, uh, we both let designers jump into the driver's seat, uh, which I think was a really important part of uh, entering the world you're talking about specifically. You know, I, I talked about Austin earlier and, and how he was a printmaker, but also a great designer and illustrator. And the first thing he did um, that first night when he's like, all right, I'm moving in for two weeks. Uh, was he took a look at that other brand, this other print shop that was before Mama Sauce, and saw that and he was like, uh-uh, not gonna, not gonna stand. We got a lot of printing to do, so I'm gonna stay up all night and make you a new logo. Wow. And um, that was before Mama Sauce was in existence. And he's just like, no, good design first. And so we learned a lot more about um, about the design world, you know, than we, we, you know, probably as much as you know as we did about printmaking. How much can you learn about those two things in two weeks? You know, not a master's class, but man, we certainly got a, a great, uh, a great look into the mind of someone that is a designer through and through. And so we were, um, uh, we were really just brought into the print world while we were brought into the design world in the same lesson and in the same course and the same time. So to me, um, it really it means trusting a designer and trusting designers, and it hasn't. We haven't looked back since then. We don't. We don't have design services. We never really opened a proper design service mm. arm. Like our brand is built on designers, so it's always about how can we show or feature designers' work. How can we um, bring value back to the design community? Uh, and that's really where we uh, 
where we found our niche in 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 printmaking is we just wanted to be the shop that that got your art that got your designs and, and wanted to bring them to life and partner with you in a way that would make you the designer super stoked yeah i mean it, that's that's totally right i mean nick nailed it with uh truly the the turning point for us too is letting a designer kind of take the wheel uh you know but prior to uh us doing work with charles anderson the csa design uh everything we did was uh designed by the printer mm -hmm. uh you know we wanted swatch books the printer designed them printed them and, and sent them back to us it, we had no input it was uh it was pretty boring pretty bland um, because they just wanted to get it done. Mm. So uh, when CSA took our stuff over and kind of gave us this identity, this brand, um, you know, we, we've always had a quirky personality as a paper mill, uh, you know, the family and the craziness. But uh, uh, CSA was the first uh, person to really like bring that out and, and show it to the world. Uh, when he started that, you know, there were hundreds of paper mills just like French paper, making the same paper French paper made. Um, you know, we we didn't have that differentiation, and having that personality is really what's kept us around, truly. Wow, wow. Well, I'm I'm interested. How has the increasing growth of all things digital affected both of your companies? Uh, it, I mean, you know, everybody thinks of uh, when they talk about paper and technology, it's always, you know, doom and gloom. You know, <laughs> is, you guys aren't shutting down because, you know, everybody sends emails now. Um, but truly, I mean, it, it hasn't affected French paper as much as you would think, uh, mostly because our, the, the stuff that technology has replaced isn't really where French paper was as far as market goes. Um, you know, not a lot of people are using French paper as their copy paper or, or things right. like that. So. Um, we've we've truly been able to avoid a lot of the things that went away. You know, th there are some some segments of our business like annual reports and things like that that have dried up with technology. But uh, honestly, the the effect that technology has had has been kind of uh, the opposite. Uh, you know, the more people look at screens, the more you have your cell phone and your computer and, and your keyboard, the more holding the piece of paper seems totally different and really stands out. Uh, you know, it's got that personal, tangible touch that that a screen doesn't have um and i think honestly it makes us look even better and cooler and and stand out more yeah yeah listen man i i think uh i agree with brian 100 percent. my theory is that all this new digital communication and, and trust me like i i, I studied dig digital communication that's what i went to school for and I, I believe it i think it's awesome um but it's got a long way to go to catch up with the legacy uh, that printed communication has and the maturity that comes with it and the story and narrative that it gets delivered to you when you hand somebody a well-designed piece that is on French paper and letterpress uh, printed. You know, like you're getting a loaded uh, document when you get handed that then loaded with, you know, um, 140 something years of, of, of paper, you know, um, 550 years of printmaking. And, you know, and then you have the design. and. You know, the digital communication front is, I mean, it's exponential evolution right now, what it's doing and how much better it's getting, uh, the tools and the communication styles. And, and, and it's it's one thing I really love about about um, the design culture and digital communication is that it's constantly deconstructing itself and constantly saying, how can we be better? So I have no doubt that it'll, you know, um, well, it is excellent. There's a lot of excellence in there. But it's got a little ways to go until it can really catch up to the, you know, what I think uh, a well-printed, well-designed on great paper piece can do. And, um, you know, they're just different. They're different beasts. And I think they they don't um, offset each other, you know, uh, or they don't. 
they don't counter each other, they complement each other. And there's room enough for, for both in this world. It's, there's room enough for everything that's done well. And um, as long as you're doing great digital communication and great uh, printmaking and great paper, like, I mean, why couldn't they stand side by side? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it's uh, as far as the market itself goes, it's it's crazy because it's, it's got a lot. It's like fashion and design and things like that. There's a lot of cyclical effect to the print world. Uh, I mean, if you look at letterpress and screen printing for a while there, that stuff was kind of gone. Um, you know, the people were doing a little here and there, you know, shirts and things like that. But really, like screen printing posters was nowhere near what it is now. Mm. Um, and we've kind of had this huge resurgence of that stuff. So it's cool to see that side of it, but also on the you know, on the other spectrum, uh, you know, we have this huge new world of digital print too, and that's you know growing and spreading its legs every single day. I mean, it seems like there's a new press, a new technology, uh, something coming out with that. So I think both sides of that are going to continue to grow. Um, I don't ever see the screen printing stuff going away, the letterpress stuff going away because it's just so cool. Um, you know, I think people love to have that that craftsman aspect to it. Um, but then, on the, like I said, I mean, the, the digital stuff, I think, is here to stay, too. So uh, I think it's exciting. Uh, you know, every every week there's something new. We get to see something awesome. So Lord knows where it's going to go next. Yeah, absolutely. Spre spreading its legs? Digital spreading its legs? Brian, what are you insinuating? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, you know, um, I, to me, some of my favorite design like that happens and I'm just uh, I just love gig posters and no don't, we do some gig posters but I wouldn't say we are um, you know a gig poster shop I think you'll find that a great many people in the gig poster world do their own printing and that's what I think is one of the things that generates perpetuity in the print and paper area is that so many designers that um, that design for gig poster in that particular world or even stationary there's a huge contingent of people uh, and stationary and gig posters that have a home rig and print themselves and there's this desire to be connected to the output in a tangible way where you're you're you know you're you're on screen maybe you're on hand sketching and then you're on screen digitizing and then you're back with your hands again putting it to paper and then you know there's always a challenge and something unique happening when you get to paper and how you can overcome um you know this design obstacle that you know, maybe it's opacity or, or uh, some kind of line weight being held that, you know, there's this connection that designers have to the output. And I think that's an awesome thing. And it's one of the things that will keep perpetuity. So I'm a huge uh, advocate of people printing at home, mm. you know, um, and, and if I had it my way, we would, you know, uh, we would be around printing, you know, when people were like, man, I got I got uh, I got super lucky and I got this awesome order from this awesome vendor and there's no way I could print that at home. Mm. Uh, um, but I really want to hold the authenticity of what I do at a commercial scale. You know, could you help me out? And we have a lot of clients like that. And that to me is super awesome. So as long as we still have the ability for designers to connect to what is real, uh, I think that we have a really good chance of perpetuity. So bring on the home, the home printing kits, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the ways I love you guys connecting people with the actual craft is is print matters, man. Print it's it's a, it's I'd say it's the most amazing print show on the road. It's a it's I'd love to hear the story behind it, and more importantly, like why? Like why did you guys choose to do this? It's such a it's such a great thing. 
in most things that 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 ideas that come to mind, I give them a working title, and the working title is always awful, just always <laughs> the worst. But it's a working title, you know. There's no bad ideas and brainstorming kind of thing. So like, you know, that moment I described earlier where I I told you know Austin and Joey like, and we'll call it Mama Sauce. That's the romantic version. In the real version, I said a different name. And then I got like a sourpuss face from the guys. And then I saw the ink bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said the romantic name, right? Um, you know, I said the working title, you know? And that's that's really how things go. And with Brian and I, we were at a conference together. And, I, and you know, there's all these great speakers and a lot of people in the design community. And I recognized that there wasn't a voice... Um, there wasn't a voice, you know, from from our side of the industry at design conferences, uh, the trade side, you know, the, the, and, I, and I was just like, man, it'd be really cool to connect that. So I, said, I went to Brian, you know, while we're at the conference, says, hey, man, I really think people, um, we might be able to fool a couple people into just <laughs> letting us come up on a stage and talk. What do you think? You want to give it a shot? Well, maybe, you know, working title like, you know, um, Mama's French Sauce or something. I don't know. We'll figure <laughs> it out. You know, and and there was the terrible working title, and um, and then the, the little idea, and Brian, you know, uh, was all for it. He said, "Yeah, man, let's let's give it a whirl." And I, I, he might have been that way, Brian, because you thought maybe I wasn't serious, but I like to say things out loud, so I'm forced to do them. And then um, I think I might have sent you like a, a treatment and um, and a one sheet like a couple of weeks later, but I'm like, all right, here I think uh, here's I think what it looks like. What do you think? And then we we batted back and forth a couple little ideas of how we can make it more unique and um and then we put it on the road and beta tested it and then we then we um you know uh added a couple more elements and we're always trying to look back on it and say all right how do we make this feel really complete in the unique experience and and it just kind of grew from there you know i think we've been doing it a year now and um and it's a I don't know. It's just been super cool to get up and be able to um, speak to the design community from the perspective of people who are benefactors of, um, of, of, of being able to borrow designers' brands. Uh, you know, in that, when I say borrow, we're like, they, they, let, they trust us to work with their brands and then trust us to speak about that uh, in our social media and in our communication. And, and it's just amazing because, you know, a lot of times we feel, man, you know, it looks like people are really proud to work with us, but gosh, we got to, like, I want them, like, really, the honor's on our side. Like, mm. you know, one of the first things I say when we, we do print matters is thank you. Are you guys all designers here? Geez, thank you. Mm. You know, and so it's, um, print matters is as much about that as anything, you know, to be able to say, like, listen, like, our design, our, our, our brands are built on the backs of designers. There's a moment that Brian and I both can pinpoint, and then... Uh, you know, we're, we're the, we handed the football designers and like you guys have been carrying across the, the finish line, you know, every day since. So thank you. And here's a little peek behind the curtain. I think that's uh, truly that's the coolest part about Print Matters is that it's so backwards. Um, you know, like Nick said, it's it's typically it's the, the creatives that are up there to, talking to people, explaining their, their process and things like that. And uh, it, it's always so funny because, you know, Nick and I stand in front of 200, 250, 500 people, whatever it is, and we're the least talented in the room. Mm. Uh, it's the, all the talents in the seats, and it's it's just astonishing to me that we go somewhere and all these people come out to hear us talk. And, you know, truly we should be sitting there watching them and, and listening to what they have to say because they're the ones that are bringing this whole thing to life. You know, okay. uh, Nick and I have cool uh, processes, and, and there's this huge connection between, you know, the, the three things, uh, design, paper, and print. 
but uh, at the end of the day, it's the designers that make it happen. Mm. Um, so that's you know, it's it's just it's uh, it takes the idea of a, a conference or a, a speaking engagement and it kind of turns it upside down, which is kind of crazy. That's that's fantastic. Well, for those of the people who are listening out there and are like, man, I want to meet these guys. Like, I, I want to go to Print Matters. Like, what do you guys have planned for 2015? Are you guys having? Do you have any events coming up soon? Yeah, we have um, San Francisco, which we uh, are about to announce uh, with actually Austin Petito, the guy, the aforementioned um, brand manager for Mama Sauce, who ended up moving out to Silicon Valley and, and has worked his way through amazing companies out there. And he's our design partner in San Francisco. We're doing that at Adobe. And Adobe's doing a working late on August 18th, um, right there at downtown San Francisco. Um, and we're gonna be out there, Brian and I, and, and we'll have this amazing poster. And rumor has it, it's gonna be on French's new craft tone line. And so we're gonna have that piece. Um, and that one's super, super exciting. We've got a couple other spots coming up, which we're getting ready to announce as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we got a couple awesome ones coming up. The the cool part about this whole thing that I, I it's mostly pushed by Nick because he's so good with this, but we, we change it up every time. It's this whole thing is super organic. Um, you know, we kind of we see what works, we see what doesn't work. You know, and we're we're not afraid to trash something, bring something new in. Um, and uh, kind of the future plans for Print Matters are bigger, better, cooler. Mm. Uh, we're uh, we're working on incorporating uh, the National Poster Retrospecticus, which is going to be awesome. Can't wait oh. for the first one of those. So we'll have you know a whole gallery of posters on top of our whole thing. Wow. So. Uh, you, you know, just one more thing to get people excited about. Uh, you know, the the when Nick and I started this, uh, the concept behind it was, if somebody sees it one time and then comes and sees another one, we want them to be totally engaged. You know, we we don't want mm. it to be well. I've already seen that. You know, it's it, we want it to be always new, always incredible. Because honestly, we don't want to get bored with it either. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, me, it, oh, go ahead, Nick. If I could bring some color to the natural uh, national poster retrospectivist, it's it's um, this guy JP Boneyard. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's amazing. Look it up, national poster retrospectivist. It is um, he has curated and collected hundreds and hundreds of the best gig posters and screen print art prints, um, and it's a tra traveling gallery show that we met at Weapons of Mass Creation a few years ago, and I just loved it so much what he was doing, and Brian dug it so hard that we we um, we formed a friendship with JP and said, listen, we would love to uh, start booking events together, and the first one out is actually going to be um, at Adobe. So wow. what what we do is we convert um, we convert the, uh, the the venue into a gallery of screen printed artwork. So now we're engulfed in um, designers work and print work from all different printmakers and all different designers and we're just trying to make an immersive print experience mm -hmm. and so um you know there's gonna, that that really uh, opens uh, the experience up to being so much more than just about you know french mama sauce and, and and the one designer and our and our host but now we're really getting to tie in hundreds of designers and printmakers from around the country and that's super exciting to us uh to be able to, to expand what that community really is because it's it's you know print matters design paper print it's not you know print mom uh, print matters you know mama sauce and, and french paper so that's the first one um uh, you know with national poster retrospectivist which is at adobe on august 18th and then the next one that we're planning which um we're, we hopefully should knock we should have um lockdown in the next week or so um is going to include like a gallery show 
uh, with the NPR or natural, uh, National Poster Retrospectus, uh, Retrospecticus, <laughs> um, a gallery show where it's going to be showing uh, for a few weeks leading up to um, the closing night, which will be a uh, Print Matters event. And I think that's kind of the direction I think, uh, you know, we could potentially see ourselves going, starting to move into, um, you know, gallery shows and, and things like that where uh, we can start trying to, uh, you know, uh, bring this form of art into that world a little bit, you know, a little bit more and more. There's other people doing that so well, like Galleries 1988 out in L.A. and, and just a million other spots that are really, um, you know, and are and have been fighting to, to show these art forms being really something um, valid and special. Roll the dice, because my money's on you. Take my advice now. Your money down too. Because there's something in the eye you just can't pretend. And may winning streak, may it never end. We have a lot of creative uh, entrepreneurs and business owners who listen to this podcast. Um, I'm interested, what's the best type of struggle you feel like a young business owner can face? Uh, I would say the the best struggle is uh, when you're really trying to find somebody's business, trying to to earn somebody's business. I, I should say, uh, because I think when you run into that, you actually learn more about yourself. You learn what your company has to offer, what your product or your service or whatever it is. Um, and I mean it, that doesn't necessarily just stick to salespeople. I mean I think we're all trying to sell something, whether it's a product or or yourself even. Um, but I, I, I think that when you re- when you really have to win somebody over, that's you learn a lot about yourself. It makes it a lot better going into the next one. That's for sure. Um, I mean, I think you can constantly learn about what you have to offer and what you're putting out there. Yeah, I think um, I think once you found what you think your greatness is, right? That's that product you're going to sell. I am really um, I am hell bent on offering this great product or service that's what my greatness is going to be right after that i think as a as a business leader your struggle is to find your humility and to find your limits and doing that as quickly as possible right because i think that's the quickest road to finding your greatness you know so you're like i want to do this at x level guess what that definitely takes a team, right? Mm-hmm. And now we have, you know, just businesses now that reach crazy amount of people with with insanely small teams these days, but it's still a team, right? You know, Facebook is what, 7,000 employees or something around there with a billion, you know, uh, client, uh, uh, customers, mm-hmm. um, you know, that level of scale, but it's still a team. And, and that all, that team gets formed around the limits of its leaders, you know? Um, and so as a young entrepreneur, if you're getting into it, the, the, the journey to humility as in saying, what are the things I can't do well, right? What are the things I'm worst at? What are the things that are so important um, that, that I may struggle in? Those things that you habitually find yourself um, you know, committing errors on and, and struggle in a way that allows you to replace yourself in that. You know, the, there's a tension there in that you need to go through these exercises to understand that role and that need so you can be empathetic and lead that area. But if you are creative 
and you are a marketer but you're not an operations person, you need to run against that line hard to understand it and the need for it so you can value that position and replace yourself in that operation sense with the best person you can as soon as you can. So to me, that struggle to learn humility is is the biggest the biggest part of it and recognizing that uh, you really have to value those things that you um, actually, you know, maybe you don't value if you're not great at them, you can't have the patience to do them, but you have to learn to value it and replace yourself and know that, you know, you're not the best for it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And, and I love what you said when you were talking about um, running that hard line between, you know, the operation side and like the creative um, design side with, with all that. I'm, I'm interested on, on your guys' perspective. Have you guys made any mistakes that you guys have really learned from in trying to run that hard line and um, yeah, li- live in this world where you're really giving the designer control? Um, have there been any mistakes that you feel like you guys have really grown from in doing that? Count countless. Can I answer countless? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, you know. Oh, go ahead, Nick. For for me, you know, um, I'm finally at a place it took me seven years exactly seven years to get to the place where um i was i humbled myself enough to know that like i needed uh, a partner in this and um you know to help me scale it the way i uh, i want to and need to and i had to stop bird you know trying to carry the burden on my own shoulders like because all that is is just ego it's all just ego mm-hmm. so for me the the, the biggest struggle was after seven years getting to that point saying, okay, if I want this to be great, I'm going to have to bring on a partner. And I did, you know, so last October we brought on a partner. Um, and, and I mean, the, the things that we have accomplished from October to today, like I just saw a recap of it for our middle of the year um, report. And it's astounding, astounding what we were able to do when, you know, honestly, when I was able just to say, I can't do it, man, you know, um, and, and I, you know, I, I need someone else. And, and, you know, that was the, the biggest one. Cause I thought I was being humble and like replacing myself. Cause originally I was like me and Joey, you know, and then I moved into my shop and I worked, I did all the jobs I could and I worked a hundred and something hours a week and that wasn't enough. And you're like, all right, well, let's hire some people and hire some people and then give up this role and then give up that role. But you get to the point where like, man, I really love doing that or I'm connected to it, but really it's just ego, man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, the biggest struggle I learned was was letting go of those, of those things, and then the the culmination was letting go of some equity and bringing on, you know, someone that made me the you know the remainder that I still own is is more than what you know the whole that I owned before, you know, um, uh, yeah, and getting to that point. So it's going to be a battle. It's a battle of ego, honestly, and you may win that if you hang on tight and you hold on to your ego and you hold on to you know, bootstrapping it and it's just you, like you may win that, but you know, the probabilities are, are lower, you know, when you don't, when you don't entrust and empower people. And sometimes that takes equity and sometimes that, uh, sometimes that, uh, uh, just takes letting go. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think for French paper, uh, the, the hardest part and the, kind of the thing we've made mistakes at in the past is trying to be everything to everybody. Um, I think there's kind of an inherent uh, mentality to you know try to do everything and try to try to have everything covered, but uh, it's it's one of those things where you really have to know what you're doing and and where you stand. Uh, you know that there are a lot of projects that don't make sense on French paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's sometimes it's kind of hard, especially ego wise, to to pull back and say you know hey this this truly isn't for us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there, there are better places that this could be taken care of. Um, you know, there are other paper mills and uh, especially me as a person, it's, it's, uh, that's something that I had, it was hard for me to realize that, you know, the, there is a time to step back and say, Hey, you're going to be a lot happier with another sheet of paper. Mm. It's going to make a lot more sense on that. Um, mm. so yeah, I mean, like I said, just, just realizing that you can't be everything to everybody. You, you can just service where you service best and, uh, and I kind of make that your place. Yeah, man. You know, um, to that, to that point, Brian, um, I'm gonna hit you up with a bill. I broke a I broke a lot of fusers trying to run a 140-pound muscle tone through our old laser printer when we we're still doing full color. So I'm going to bill you that. But, and that's true. But, um, but yeah, man, you know, our biggest, to that point, our biggest growth, like one of our biggest growth stretches we ever had, um, I think it is our biggest growth in, in, until maybe this year, I hope, uh, was when we – when we did that, when we stopped trying to be every everything to everybody, you know, we like I said, we started out as full color. We brought on screen printing. We had flat stock T-shirts, full color. Then we brought on letterpress. Now we had this, you know, every printing in the world, you know, underneath underneath our roof. And full color was our largest vertical because it was our most historically mature. Mm -hmm. And we recognized that we're trying to do too much, and we let go of over two third of our revenue stream by shutting down uh, full color. And we, we closeted our machine and paid a lease for five more years without monetizing that machine at all wow. and focused on what made us great. And that's really what slingshot us forward. Even though we're eating some costs there, it's I, I'm just saying it to reinforce Brian's point, like just focus on your greatness. Well, last question. If you could go back to yourself at day one, you're starting your company and you could give yourself some advice. What would that advice be? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that, man. I, um, <laughs> So there's a lot of things I would do differently, absolutely. But then again, not because here I am and I'm happy with my journey, you know. Mm. You know, no matter where you go, there you are. Um, mm. But I tell you what, um, a couple things I would do, and this is if we're speaking specifically to young, you know, young entrepreneurs right now. Yep. I would, um, you know, there was that time I said that we were in a storefront on a main road. We did a lot of cash transactions then. Um, I would have put all that cash into the bank um, because, you know, that's part of your valuation. Right. Um, and I would have I would have sought funding way earlier because uh, I remember, you know, um, not that long ago being in front of, um, you know, a small business loan uh, officer and uh, being like, so you're telling me if I would have brought you this business plan as a startup eight years ago, we would have been more you would have been more apt to give us a loan. But because um, we've reinvested every one of our dollars uh, back into capital and never, never, you know, like I never took money out of the company and everything went in back into the company and showed, you know, it was just all capital investments. Like, so you're telling me that uh, I would have, I would have been better off. I would have gotten a better loan or we didn't end up going through with it, but you know, this would have been easier as a startup with a business plan and good credit. It's like, yeah. So um, to go back, you know, if you think you need, um, you know, you see scale in the future, make sure that um, you're keeping reserves or make sure you're, you're building the business a way that always shows value so that should you ever need uh, assistance from a partner, VC, equity, bank or anything like that, you have value to show that isn't just intangibles. Mm. Uh, it 
I'll, I'll be a little more vague and a little more cliche about it. I mean, this this sounds terrible, but honestly, if I could go back and talk to myself, I would say pay attention because it, time honestly flies when you're having fun. I mean, it's it, it's crazy, but you know, it's, it, I've been here, like I said, a little over seven years, and I honestly feel like it's still my first day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm always learning. I'm always fi- fi- running into something that I don't know or something that I need to learn. Um, it's like, you know, it's, it, I look back and I'm like, man, did I, have I enjoyed the ride as much as I could have? Uh, you know, cause it's, I mean, it's, it's, you blink and it's gone. Man, ain't that the truth? Nick and Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I could listen to you guys talk for days. And in fact... I might. If you're like me and you're interested in hearing more of what they have to share, go to their next Print Matters event. To see where they're headed, go to facebook.com slash printmatterstour. If you've never checked out their companies, now is the time. Head to frenchpaper.com and mamasauce.com right now. You'll love what you see. It's a treat having you listen each week. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends about it. If you don't know about Real Thread yet or why we do this, head to our site, realthread.com. We have dozens of free design resources and make the best darn screen printed shirts in the country. We would love to work with you. We have another episode coming up in a month. Until then, keep on making things that matter. I